Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Ladies, gentlemen, welcome back to episode two of the Standing Room Spartans podcast, powered by StandingRoomSports.com, powered by your host, Kevin Parker, with you here to really, again, continue getting this thing off the ground. If you missed the last episode, make sure you go back and check that out, laid out some of the plans for the podcast, especially in this off season here and, and really detailed everything about Mel Tucker, our new head coaching hire. As I mentioned in that podcast, we're talking about his coaching staff that he brought in. So we're going to talk today detailing Jay Johnson, our new offensive coordinator. Uh, we'll get into the defensive coordinator. We're getting into the tight ends coach, the running backs coach, everybody Across the board, we'll get through the whole staff. We'll get through all the position groups as far as the players are concerned as as well. And again, today we're talking Jay Johnson, and I'm super excited to get into this because this Michigan State offense, let's be honest, has been pretty underwhelming the last few years, to say the least. I I think in back when you go back to, to 2017, our last successful season, really, even then, we we like to look back and think, man, Brian Lewerke, you know, had had a bit of a breakout year. But when you really go back and look at it, that that was a team led by the defense, and this this offense has become a bit stale. Last year, we we tried to mix things up quite a bit. The the play calling was a little bit different. There was a a lot more up tempo offense. You know, we went from just 5% no huddle in 2018 to, to over 50% no huddle in 2019. So the, there was an effort to, to change things up a little bit, bring a little bit more tempo to the offense, but at the end of the day, it was with little success. So Mel Tucker gets hired in as the head coach, and he brings in his OC from Colorado, Jay Johnson. And similar to what we did with Mel Tucker, I want to start off with his history because I do think it's important when you go back and look and give some context to where these guys came from and what they're going to plan on doing moving forward in East Lansing. But Jay Johnson's a really interesting character here because he's been coaching for over 25 years and Colorado offensive coordinator was really his first big job. So it's a, a it's a guy with a lot of experience, but not a lot of experience on a big time level. You know, he he's spent a lot of time 
in the lower ranks of division one and for a guy to get this kind of money it, it's an interesting hire to say the least we'll talk about there's there's a lot of things i like about him there's some things that i i quite frankly don't like but you know it, it is an interesting hire so jay johnson we go back into his history so first of all he did play at northern iowa as a quarterback so it's always good when you get the offensive coordinators with that quarterback perspective rarely do you see former players get hired into that position who weren't quarterbacks i mean it's just the nature of the beast when you're the quarterback you have to understand what's the running backs assignment on this play what's the entire offensive line doing what's my tight end what are my receivers doing what's the defense doing and and how are they going to try to attack this look and so he is a former quarterback actually was in the same quarterback room started for a couple years in front of kurt warner uh, nfl hall of famer so he started for three years at Northern Iowa, won three conference titles, had school records, 8,300 yards, 60 touchdowns. His first start at Northern Iowa as a quarterback, 12 completions, 397 yards. That's 33 yards per completion. Um, a gunslinger mentality, I guess, out of Jay Johnson. But you know, when you look at his coaching career, he started off at high school in the high school ranks went to Missouri as a as a grad assistant there for one year, went over to Truman State, a small school out of Missouri, as an OC for two years in Division II, went over to Kansas, got a look as the, the grad assistant there for a couple years, was promoted to the QB's coach at Kansas, spent a couple years in that position before they moved him to the running backs coach. From there, goes to Southern Mississippi under uh, Coach... Uh, Jeff Bauer, who's been at Southern Miss for 18 years, he's he's a well-respected name in in the let's say lower ranks of Division One football. Again, went went to Southern Miss, was the running backs coach, was the tight ends coach before getting promoted to the offensive coordinator. Spent three years in that position where the offense 30 points a game, 25 points a game, 28 points a game. So. A solid offense, nothing that's, you know, you're you're not looking at Alabama or LSU from 2019, but, you know, they put some points on the board and and uh, his first real OC job in Division One. From there, he, he gets a, a bump down in terms of the position, but definitely a bump up in terms of the program, goes over to Louisville as a quality control coach on the offensive side and that's something we've seen a lot out of Alabama and Nick Saban, and they've brought in a ton of these coaches to be basically quality control. And that's basically, hey, why don't you come in, give us an extra eye in the film room, give us an extra eye on the practice field. You don't really have a, a position group that you're heading up. You're not the head of any part of the roster here but but I really like your input I really respect your football opinion and I want you in here to help me out in game planning so he was a quality control coach at Louisville back in 2008 stayed on the Louisville staff was hired as the tight ends coach his second stint coaching that position from there he goes uh, to central Michigan for a year under coach Dan Enos um, coaches up a, a quarterback room that was pretty solid. They threw for 3,400 yards. They had 12th highest in college football that season. 
Um, and from there, he jumps over to Louisiana Lafayette after just one year at Central Michigan. He's there for five years. So this is, is by far his longest stint in college football, spending five years at Louisiana Lafayette. Um, a school that's kind of known for their offense over the last few years uh, down in the Sun Belt. So it basically put up over 30 points a game just about every year until his last season. 32 points, 35, 34, 30, and then 26 in his fifth and final season there. Uh, put out one NFL running back, Elijah McGuire, who played uh, a couple years for the Jets. Uh, not really sure where he's at now, but you know, ran a solid offense, ran a solid program down at Louisiana Lafayette for five years. From there, he gets promoted up to the big boys, up to the Big Ten at Minnesota, Scores 29 points a game. That was uh, fifth in the conference, fourth in the conference, I believe, off the top of my head um, without running it down. But he he was the offensive coordinator and QB's coach up at Wisconsin or up at, excuse me, Minnesota for a year. Moves down to Georgia again in that offensive quality control uh, position. And that's where his relationship with Mel Tucker starts in, in his time at Georgia spends two years there. And Mel Tucker has talked about Jay Johnson and how, you know, they, they didn't really interact with each other a whole lot. It's not a position where Mel Tucker, he's working with the defense, Jay Johnson, he's working with the offense. They're not really interacting with each other, a ton throughout a normal day, but they see each other on the practice field. They're they're trying to to basically play chess against each other in the practice field. And that's where Mel Tucker developed a lot of respect for what Jay Johnson did. You know, his, his football mind as well as his work ethic. He could see him in there working every day and getting better. So when Mel Tucker gets the call to join uh, or to head up the Colorado program in 2019, he said his first call was Jay Johnson. He wanted him in his, and to give him a chance at offensive coordinator. Um, a guy, you know, again, he he's just he's had a long career. You go back to his first year as a grad assistant at Missouri in 1994, 25 years before he really gets that big break. Um, you know, one year at a at Minnesota, but then a coaching change where P.J. Fleck comes in and basically cleans house there, didn't get a whole lot of opportunity to stay. Um, and then Colorado is his first real chance. He's coaching uh, as an offensive coordinator, coaching the QBs as well. And we'll talk about the, the specifics about his offense in a minute here because I did go through and, and log a couple games. Um, I looked at the Nebraska game, I looked at the Colorado State game, and I looked at the Oregon game, every single snap on offense, and just getting an idea of what kind of personnel groupings is he looking at? What are they doing pre-snap? What kind of, you know, are they are they running a power offense? Are they running a spread? What what are they doing to try to keep defenses, you know, off off their game and, and and try to stay attacking and and what are what is he doing what's his mo on offense so you know i got a lot of stuff that we'll talk about in detail in a moment here some analytics type stuff some stuff that i saw watching film with my eyes from kind of like a coaching perspective but he and it's something that him and mel tucker i i guess that's why they get along so well but he's talked about having this adaptable multiple 
versatile approach where he's not going to fit a square peg into a round hole. That's just not what they're going to try to do. So that's interesting when you look at taking over a program and guys that you didn't recruit, okay, how do we make this team the best that we can? And it's going to be really fascinating to see, especially without spring ball, how is he going to take this roster of guys that he didn't recruit, that he doesn't know a whole lot about, and try to get them into a winning formula on the offensive side of the ball. So, you know, that's something he's talked about quite a bit, but it's going to be really interesting to see, given the circumstances here, of how is he going to to make a square pegs for those or make square holes for those square pegs that he has on the roster in guys again that he didn't recruit that he doesn't really know a whole lot about because you know you can go back and watch film you can meet with these guys in zoom but you know every coach will tell you until you see them in person on the practice field you don't really know what you have and so without that ability Jay Johnson, it's going to be interesting to see, you know, what kind of scheme he puts together to to try to get this roster ahead. One, I, I guess, slight advantage, you could call it an advantage, you could call it a disadvantage because of the talent. He will get to kind of pick his own quarterback. You know, a lot of times when you have these, these coaching hires, you have a, a quarterback, you know, if if we went into last year and and we all knew that Brian Lewerke was the starter. And and if he if that's not the type of quarterback that he wants, he's kind of stuck with him because the fan base, the media, everybody's expecting this guy to start. And if you try to find another player that fits what you want to do better, it's going to be really hard to convince the fan base and the media. Whereas you go into this season and nobody has any idea what we're doing at quarterback. And yes, part of that is because of a lack of talent in the depth chart. But he gets to kind of look at a guy like Theo Day, uh, more of your traditional pocket passer, big arm, a lot of arm talent. You have your Rocky Lombardi, you know, a guy that's, you know, like Taysom Hill right now in the NFL. He's not afraid to get his nose dirty and then put his head down and and run the football, and and he's going to give you something different there. You have a guy like Peyton Thorne, who's you know we don't know a whole lot about, but but he's a pretty athletic kid with some upside that you know he he kind of has the ability to say, okay, what do I want? What do I believe in on offense? And and which of these guys is going to help me do that to the best that we can get out of them. So it's going to be interesting to see, you know, with being able to hand pick your quarterback, being able to bring in, you know, recruits at the quarterback position as a former quarterback, as a QB's coach um, and what he likes. And, and I think who he chooses to start this season is, is really going to give us an idea of what type of player that he's looking for. You know, is he looking for a dual threat? Is he looking for a big arm guy that can, you know, force balls into the outside of the field and, you know, go across the field and, and hit an out route that's, you know, the, right before the corner, the safety can get there and, and zip a ball in there. You know, what, what kind of quarterback is he looking for? What kind of quarterback fits his structure and his scheme? Because you look at what exactly what happened at Colorado last year, he had the same situation. And again, this goes back to what we talked about with Mel Tucker. Imagine, getting a chance to go back and have that first opportunity again. Right. And, and so he's, this is actually his 
third time um, in big college football with um, having that opportunity to be a one and done. And, and that sounds weird to say an opportunity like it's a positive, but again, you you have to kind of fit, you have to find the square holes for for the pegs that are on your roster. And he's had to do it at Minnesota. He's had to do it at Colorado and he gets another chance to do it here and and learn from the mistakes that he's made in the past. So what he's looking for, especially at the quarterback position, We'll get a lot of answers based on who he chooses to start off this year, I, I believe. But, uh, you know, a couple more things that he's talked about in, in some interviews. He's brought up the the tight end position as the MVP of the roster. He, he was uh, mentioning on a recruiting visit with, with a tight end recruit that that's really the MVP of his offense. And we'll talk about that in a moment. But when you watch, when you go back and watch Colorado last year, you really see that. You really do see that he, he utilizes the tight end position quite a bit in the run blocking, in in pass pro, in in pass catching, and the short to intermediate, as well as uh, deep down the seams and and on the outside even. So um, the tight end is going to be featured. Which when you look at a guy like Trenton Gillison on our roster already, a guy with a ton of talent coming out of high school, a guy with a lot of athleticism, and and showed a little bit this last year. Um, he might really be in for a breakout year under the new offensive coordinator. He's talked a lot about the quarterback position, of course, playing quarterback before. He's looking for that CEO mentality, somebody who really understands the game of football. So, you know, again, we, we don't know a whole lot about the QBs we have on the roster, but what he's talked about many times is having a full understanding of what everybody's doing on the field. What are your wide receivers assignments? What's your left tackle doing? What's your right guard doing? What's your fullback doing on this play? Okay. If this linebacker drops into coverage, what's the tight end doing? You have to know these things. And, and that's very important to, to Jay Johnson, the new offensive coordinator in choosing a quarterback and grooming a quarterback and developing a quarterback and, and, there was uh, an interview with his former quarterback at Southern Mississippi who talked about how he credits a lot of his success to what Jay Johnson brought off the field and allowing him to be independent once he gets on the field because that's that's really when you read into it, what it comes down to is that he's going to work you off the field. He's going to work you in the film room. He's going to work you on the chalkboard. So that once you get on the field, you're prepared. He's even trusted quarterbacks to make their own play calls, to, to basically call the game on their own. And so when when you have a guy like that, it's going to be really interesting to see, you know, what again, what type of quarterbacks that he's recruiting and what type of guys he's looking for. Because, you know, from a fan's perspective, it's really hard to see what's going on behind the scenes. So, you know, again, he's looking for that CEO mentality at the quarterback position. He hasn't really talked a whole lot about, you know, dual threats and, and you know, strong arms, you know, what, what kind of prototype he's looking for there. But when you take a look at what they did offensively last year, based on some of the play calls, you, you get a little bit of an idea. Um, so a couple other things here before we get into on the field stuff, right? $975,000 for Jay Johnson. And, and we mentioned how important that was with Mel Tucker accepting the job to Michigan State is increasing that 
uh, coaching staff budget, which, you know, again, props to Michigan State, props to the athletic department for finally, you know, entering their name into the big boys at college football, right? And, and paying these guys. Does Jay Johnson deserve $975,000? I have no idea. He's going to be, um, if we look at 2019, he would be a top 10 paid offensive coordinator in college football for a guy that was an offensive coordinator at Louisiana Lafayette for five years, at Minnesota for one year. And that's about it, right? Southern Miss for a couple of years as well. So when you really go back into it, you know, a guy that's coached for 25 years and has really struggled to break through to that next level of college football, it's an interesting hire. It's an it's an interesting proposition to say, here's damn near a million dollars to be a coordinator for a guy that through 25 years of coaching hasn't really proved that he's the guy at this level. So there's a lot of experience, but at the same time, there's not because we've seen him do it in lower D1, but we haven't seen him do it yet at, in the power five level. And it's something that you accept, right? When you, when you're a younger coach, you know, a guy in his thirties, that's, you know, just starting when he coaches up, you know, a Tulsa program and they're hanging 40 points on everybody. And, you know, you can turn pretty clearly to this guy and say, hey, he's inexperienced. He hasn't done it at the power five level, but man, did he kill it down in, in D2 or man, did he kill it in uh, the group of five conferences? And and we believe that even at an early age without a lot of experience that he's going to be the guy. And, and you see some of these guys become head coaches even or, or highly paid assistants. But that's just not the story. That's not the case with Jay Johnson. So it's it's an interesting proposition. It's something that's going to be interesting to follow, right? And does this scare away Michigan State from signing these guys to big money in the future if it doesn't work out? I don't know the answer to that, right? If If Jay Johnson's offense doesn't perform and the athletic department takes a look and says, man, we paid this guy a million dollars for this. This is what we get for our investment. Let's go back to spending 600000 finding a capable guy who's you know, not going to be anything splashy, but he's going to get the job done. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know the answer to that. But again, I'm hoping for the success. So let's let's get into that. Let's get into the stuff on the field that we see. And again, I went through... Three games from last year. Um, I went through the Nebraska game in week two, the Colorado State game on the road, and the Oregon game on the road. Oregon, they got blown out. The other two were both wins. Um, now, when you look at the season as a whole, um, the Athletic did a good job breaking down his personnel groupings. So he spent most of the season uh, in 11 personnel, basically one running back, one tight end, three wide receivers, a uh, pretty standard formation. Um, and you can mix that up however you want, but one running back, one tight end, three wide receivers, whether you're under the center, whether you're in the shotgun and the pistol that accounted for 680 of their snaps, um, which is damn near 75%. So they're spending most of their time with three wide receivers. And that's important because when you look at this depth chart, at wide receiver, 
where are we going to go? I'm, I'm not entirely sure. There's a lot of guys, and we'll break down the wide receivers more in depth. But you know that three guys are going to be on the field the majority of the snaps, right? When we go back to Mark D'Antonio's offense, there's a lot of two wide receivers, two tight end sets, two wide receivers, two running backs. You know, you get a, a tight end, a running back, a fullback, and two wide receivers. So that third receiver spot is a lot more valuable in the Jay Johnson offense, and you're going to see him on the field a lot more. Does that mean more playing time for a guy like Lares Nelson? You know, I'm not sure, but there is going to be a lot more of that three wide receiver look. Um, and and when they are in that uh, in that personnel, eleven personnel, one tight end, one running back, two wide receiver, three wide receivers, they're passing about sixty percent of the time and running about forty percent. Um, the next highest grouping is 21 personnel, where you get two running backs, one tight end, two wide receivers. So that's usually, you know, you can think of if you split backs in the in a shotgun with with a running back on either side, maybe it's an I formation with a fullback in there. But either way, you get two backs, one tight end, and two wide receivers. That's 136 snaps. Again, so a big drop-off, 680 and 11 personnel, 136 snaps and 21. And out of that, they're running 77% of the time. So when you see two backs in the backfield, more than likely they're going to run the football. Um, whether that's a jet sweep, whether that's a power, that all gets factored in. But they're running the football over 75% of the time when you see two running backs on the field. He got 12 personnel with 128 snaps. That's one running back, two tight ends, two wide receivers. And again, they're running 76% of the time. So 10 personnel where you have four wide receivers split out, one running back in the backfield is only 26% of the snaps and and they're passing 81%. So really when you take a look at it, um, what that boils down to, is if you see two running backs, if you see two tight ends on the field, there's a more than 75% chance that they're running the ball. If you see three wide receivers, four wide receivers, more than likely they're throwing the ball. So um it, it and that's it's it's easy to take a look at those numbers and say, wow, that's that's gonna be really obvious to the defense. There's more to it than that. You know, there's a lot of play action. There's a lot of jet sweeps. There's a lot of misdirection. And, and there's an H-back position that I'll talk about that that can bring in a lot of deception with that as well. So they went no huddle about 50% of the time last year, which was very similar to what Michigan State ran in 2019. And something that we'll talk about in, in just a moment here is a lot of zone blocking as well. They had a lot of success with zone blocking where, you know, just to give the the casual fan an idea, zone blocking, your your offensive linemen are blocking a space, they're not blocking a man. So generally, traditionally, your offensive linemen say you're a left guard, right? And and you know you're going to run the ball up the middle, halfback dive. And you say, I got this guy in front of me. I got number 94. That's my man, right? Zone blocking, you're looking more at a space. So you think about zone defenses, cover two, if you play Madden, NCAA football, right? You're not covering man-to-man on that wide receiver. You're covering the flat. You're covering this space. You're covering the deep half. You're covering this space. Same concept in zone blocking, right? So your offensive lineman is responsible 
for this area. So what that does is, number one, it limits confusion. So if the defensive line is stunting, you know, the, the DN comes and rolls over the middle, the defensive tackle comes to the outside, you know, the on the outside gaps, it, it limits a lot of that confusion. So you're basically just responsible for this space. So if your guy moves out of that space, it's not your job anymore. You just look at what's in front of you, you block whoever's there. Um, and the other thing is it favors athleticism because it's going to allow you to, to really get up to the second level. A lot of times, you know, when, when the defensive line moves in a way that there's not really a guy lined up right in front of you. All right. You get up field, you get to a linebacker or you slide over and you double team a guy and then move up the field. So it favors athleticism and, and it limits confusion and it's something that the NFL, when you look at Kyle Shanahan and the San Francisco 49ers, their zone blocking, I mean, damn near 80% of their run plays. And the reason that they've had a lot of success is, is you recruit the type of offensive linemen that fit that scheme to basically say, okay, you're athletic enough to, to be able to get to the second level, and we're not going to ask you to do too much. So there's a lot of zone blocking that they've had a lot of success with which we'll talk about in just a moment here. So one of the things um, as we get into what I saw and what I was watching as I was going through these games, one thing that that stood out to me more than anything, and I, I charted this on my own, um, every single play on offense and, and what they're doing is pre-snap motion. So when you look at pre-snap motion, okay, is there a wide receiver coming across the formation? Is there a running back that's, you know, even just simply going from the left side of the quarterback to the right side in a shotgun? These little things can make a lot of differences. Number one, you can see the type of coverage, right? A lot of times when you when you move a receiver around, when you move a tight end over, you're going to see what type of coverage they're running. Are they running man coverage where this guy's following me across the formation? Are they running zone where, where they're just kind of letting me go and, and maybe the linebacker shades over a little bit or something like that? You're going to see, are they running man or zone? And you're going to see some some take advantage of their, the weaknesses on that defense. So you're going to be able to take a look and say, okay, I moved over to, to this spot. Nobody followed me here. This space is wide open, right? So you can take advantage of some of those spots. So pre-snap motion is something that that's had a lot of, you know, when you look at the analytics folks, especially in the NFL that are really tracking this, it's a big indicator of, of team success on offense. There's a lot of correlation between more pre-snap motion leading to more points, basically, if you make it as simple as possible. So um, that's something that I, I've really been critical of with Mark D'Antonio in this offense in the past is a, a tendency to avoid that and basically just line up and, and run across run with the man across from you. So this pre-snap motion is a big deal and something that Jay Johnson has done quite a bit in his time at, at Colorado or in the one year that that he spent there. And when you look at it in terms of the numbers from the three games that I watched, you're looking at about 50 to 55% of the plays have some sort of pre-snap motion. Again, whether that's simply the running back flipping to the other side of the quarterback, the wide receiver coming across the formation, 
just over 50% had some sort of pre-snap motion, which, which I really like. That's something that I think needs to be incorporated in today's college football. And there's a lot of stuff that he does well. You know, there's a lot of uh, naked bootlegs. Uh, you have a lot of play action, a lot in the screen game. Jet sweeps, misdirection. They hit a flea flicker against North uh, against Nebraska for a 97-yard touchdown. There's some RPO. There's some Wildcat. He does a lot of different things to keep defenses off balance. One thing that I really like, he gets a lot of tight formations. So you're you might have four wide receivers, but they're all close in on the line of scrimmage. Nobody's spread out wide. And then they they have these exploding routes. So they're going towards the sideline. They're going upfield. And again, it's just something that keeps the defenses off balance. You know, when you, you see this tight formation and then boom, they're coming out on a wheel down the sideline and, and hitting you deep. It's something that keeps you honest. It keeps you on your heels. And that's really the name of the game when you're designing plays, when you're a play caller. You're just trying to keep the defense on their heels at all times and and keep them thinking all the time. When you're a defensive player, you don't want to think. You just want to react to what's in front of you and and attack. And when your offense is is forcing defenses to take even just a half a step and, and not trust what they're seeing and not trust their eyes and wonder what's coming at them, that's when you get big plays. That's when you get a safety that's just creeping up a little bit too much and the, the receiver can hit him over the top. That's when you get a lot of these big plays. So there was a lot of stuff that I liked. You know, again, you have a lot of, of pre-snap misdirection, a lot of pre-snap deception, a lot of that zone running that we talked about that, that you're really blocking the space and, and that's, churning out you know i saw quite a few 10 yards 15 yards 20 yard gash plays where where you have when you look at san francisco 49ers and kyle shanahan when you have a one cut running back that can hit a hole bam go that's going to be the running back that looks like it will be successful in this offense And, and something that i think eli collins does pretty well in his one year starting in east lansing so that's going to be, I think, as far as when you look at the running game, when you get a one cut back that's not going to try to do too much, that's going to find their hole and go, that's where we're going to be successful. And again, I think that's something that Eli Collins does pretty well. Now, one thing when you look at this Colorado offense from last year, they had a second round draft pick, LaVisca Chenault at wide receiver. In a normal draft class, he could have been a first round pick. Uh, if it weren't for injuries and a lot of other things that that held him back quite a bit, but he was their whole offense, and and it's it's hard to measure because on one hand you like that he gives the ball to the playmakers and and lets them do what they do best. On the other hand, you know you would like to see him spread it out a little bit more, but you know at the end of the day. I would rather err on the side of get the ball into the playmaker's hands and, and let them do work. So there's a lot of wildcat where where they're just snapping it directly to, to Chenault. There's a lot of jet sweeps. There's a lot of screens. They're trying to get him the ball in all situations, and that's something that you know I can never really complain about, getting the ball in their hands. So that's something that I like quite a bit, something that I like that he does. Um, now, 
you have a lot of other things that I like. Uh, there was a couple plays uh, where they run a true RPO and it's, you know, it's hard to look at. I very much encourage you to hop on Twitter and search at Standing Room MSU. That's my Twitter handle, Standing Room MSU. Or if you search Standing Room Spartans, you can find me as well. I ran a quick thread of some plays that I saw in that Colorado State game. And you'll see some short clips of things that I really liked that that he did. Um, you know, some there was a, a, th- a third and goal on the two-yard line. Spread them out wide, four wide receivers. They ran a couple pick plays and got an easy touchdown, um, something where you're just taking advantage of the rule book and, and letting your wide receivers get an easy play. A lot of good play action and and basically offensive linemen really selling the, the power run, run blocking, keeping those safeties honest, keeping an eye in the backfield of what's going on. There's some good screen plays. There's There's a lot of play action. Um, and, and the H back kind of position that I mentioned. So your, your tight end, he's going to be in the backfield. He's going to be lined up as a tight end. He's going to be lined up in the slot. He's going to be asked to do quite a bit. So that's where, you know, he mentioned the tight end is the MVP of the offense and, and Trenton Gillison, I'm sure is happy to see some of this stuff on film and, and happy to hear him say that. Cause I think there could be a lot of production on the table for Trenton Gillison this year. If, if he really, makes the jump that I think we can expect him to. But there, there's a lot of stuff you like. And, and at the end of the day, again, it's it's a lot of it's unproven, which is weird to say for a guy that's been coaching for 25 years at the college level. But I I like what I see hesitantly, again, because I haven't seen him do it at the highest level a whole lot. And for a guy with that much experience, you would think that he would have broken through to the Power Five sooner uh, than than this stage in his career. But you know, he's he's aggressive at times. They they ran. Uh, there was a couple fourth down conversions that I saw. But again, you, you're looking at a one cut running back who can you know just find a hole and go in the zone blocking scheme. A lot of misdirection before the snap, which I like quite a bit. And we'll see what happens. Again, you know, you're you're gonna try to take a look at some of these these new coaching hires who don't have a ton of power five experience that we can't really hang our hat on and say this is what I know is gonna happen. So Jay Johnson, a, a really intriguing head coaching or uh, assistant coordinating hire, excuse me, by head coach Mel Tucker. And we'll see what happens. You know, I'm I am optimistic, hesitantly. Um, it's a lot of money for a guy that that just hasn't proven it at the Power Five level for a whole lot uh, a long time. But you know, Mel Tucker speaks very highly of him. He seems to have a good idea of of the way that offenses are moving here in 2020 and what has been successful at the college and the NFL level. And you know, we'll we'll see what he chooses to do with the quarterback position and and what kind of recruits that he wants to bring in to really run his system. But for now, again, hesitantly optimistic about Jay Johnson, the the new offensive coordinator here at Michigan State. So next up, we'll we'll talk about the defensive coordinator Scott Hazelton out of Kansas State. Really excited to get into that again. Follow me on Twitter at Standing Room MSU. 
did a whole thread. You'll see clips of the game at Colorado State, some things that I liked that that Jay Johnson was doing from a, from a scheme standpoint. Uh, follow me on Twitter. Make sure you follow me on on Spotify. That way you're getting the podcast as soon as it drops. Download, subscribe, all that fun stuff. We should be on Apple Podcasts here shortly, and I will definitely let you know when we are there. Really appreciate you guys coming back. Really appreciate the support, the following. I had quite a few people actually reach out when uh, the first podcast dropped and and that were thrilled that I was back. So uh, that really makes you feel awesome. Uh, Really happy that you guys are, are appreciating the work. Can't wait to get back into it with the defensive side. I'm going to try to churn out quite a few podcasts here at the beginning to get a to get a little bit of a log going for you guys in the off season. Generally, through the off season, we're going to be once a week. But again, for the first couple weeks here, we'll probably see three, two or three a week, just to get a, a good log of a good backlog of some stuff for you guys for your commute to work, for your, if you're walking the dog, if you're at the gym going for a run, wherever you are, really appreciate you listening. Come on back, standing room, Spartans. Take care.